Welcome to the I Am Woman Project. I am your host, Catherine Plano. I am a creative soul adventurer, a modern day alchemist, and on a mission to empower the conscious people of this world, those who seek to learn, grow, understand, and become the very best version of themselves that they can be. Every week, we have thought leaders, change instigators, and inspirational human beings from around the globe that offer you profound teachings and recent discoveries from the world of neuroscience, positive, cognitive, and spiritual psychology to help you build wealth, health, love, and achieve lasting transformation. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning connection and resilience into your life and your business. As a way to thank our guests for their time, energy and wisdom, we would love to demonstrate our appreciation, gratitude and admiration. We would love to hear from you as to what was your key takeout from today's session by writing a review in Apple Podcast with our guest's name and insight. And when you do, Please make sure to take a photo and send your photo to support at katherineplano.com.au and you will receive a one-hour life coaching session for free, valued $500, to help you change your life for the better or to help you get unstuck if you are currently going through a transition or if you need a little motivation. Thank you. Well, this week I am beyond super excited about our super, super amazing guest. We have the beautiful Dr. Martha Beck. Dr. Martha Beck is a best-selling author, life coach, and speaker. She has spent a lifetime offering powerful, practical, and entertaining teachings that help people improve every aspect of their lives. Her written work includes several New York Times and international bestsellers, as well as over 150 magazine articles. She holds three Harvard degrees in social science, and Oprah Winfrey has called her one of the smartest women I know. Martha is a passionate and engaging speaker, known for her unique combination of science, humor, and spirituality. For over two decades, she has been, in the words of NPR and USA Today, the best-known life coach in America. Her published work includes several self-help books and memoirs, including New York Times and international bestsellers, Finding Your Own North Star, The Joy Diet, and Expecting Adam. Martha's newest book, The Way of Integrity, Finding the Path to Your True Self, was an instant New York Times bestseller. It's now time to tune into this one very inspirational human being. Enjoy. Today, I am super excited and I know for our listeners, you will be too. We have the lovely Martha Beck back on the show. Welcome to I Am Woman Project. 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to be back here. Oh, we are so thrilled to have you back. And I guess, you know, we normally start the show with um, asking our woman of inspiration to share her unique story. And I guess since you have been on the show and shared your unique story, what has happened uh, in the last, let's say, well, last time you were on the show was December 2020. So Uh what has been happening in your world, Martha? Oh, my heavens. Well, you know. Uh, I think maybe a little more than has been happening in Melbourne because we're, we've been locked down, but not as not as strictly as you folks have. But it's funny how um, it's been a very interesting phase of human history, right? Because as a as a social scientist, I've always been focused on social change, and I always knew it would be accelerating, and I always knew that huge shocks were going to come and continue to come. And here we are, right? And And yet, I never really thought through what would happen to us all if we all had to completely change our lifestyle, separate ourselves from each other, and then sit quietly, for the large part, in in our homes. Pascal said that the, the source of all our misery is that we are unable to sit quietly alone in a room. And it's as if the whole universe decided, well, you're going to sit quietly alone in a room. <laughs> and I think what he meant was that all the, the demons from our insides come raging out when we're still and quiet. But after they come out, if we sit quietly in a room long enough, dimensions of peace and capacity and intention and love begin to open within us that would never, I think, have unfolded if we continued to be so busy. So there's all this interior flowering that I see in the people that I coach, the people I talk to, and and in myself and my family. So despite all the suffering and all the boredom and all the grief, there is something very profound happening in a very quiet way that I think could be world-changing on its own. Mm, I agree. And I think that um, there. I always look at it this way. There's got to be almost like a breakdown to go through a breakthrough. And, and everyone has had their own experiences. And I think that even for me, uh, what's bubbled up for me over the last 18 months, although it feels a lot longer, is definitely a lot, a lot of um, looking within and and yeah. I think that's that's what I mean. The beauty of lockdown for me, uh, if I can say mm-hmm. the beauty, is it has helped me really work with my shadow aspects. And yeah. I've also been following the Schumann's resonance as well. And that's when the mm-hmm. light that's coming through at the moment is out of control. Really. Mm. It is. It's. I think that we're all. You know, they call it the Great Awakening. I think we're all uh-huh. waking up in our own way. You know, our own yeah. ways. I think we're reassessing our values, um, mm-hmm. reassessing about the things that are meaningful and purposeful for us. Mm-hmm. Um, what have been? What have been some of your insights? Well, I've been obsessed since I was a child with um, this sort of. Uh, anticipation of something that would take place during my lifetime and which I was sort of born to help facilitate. Like the purpose of my life was a a shift in the way people thought and lived in the world. And it was very dim and foggy when I was a child and it got more and more intense the older I got. And about 10 years ago, 
I just stopped pretending that it wasn't um, some sort of uh, a, a transformation of consciousness. And I started, I, by then it started meeting other people who'd been predicting it as well. And people who, like me, had been feeling it for years, decades, completely out side of a, a context of communicating with each other, completely different cultural context, completely different fields of study, or um, in some cases, no access to study. So all over the world were these people who were waiting for this transformation. And for a while, I thought it would be subtle. And then I thought, no, it's not going to be subtle, actually. And I feel as though we are watching it in progress. And I think it feels to me as if um, consciousness itself, which I think is, uh, I think every one of us is in part a consciousness that is connected to all consciousness. I don't think consciousness can be divided. So we're all drops in the sea of consciousness. And it's as if the whole sea of consciousness is intelligent and it's guiding events in each of our lives and all of our lives, all 8 billion of us, right, to facilitate this shift. And I do believe, and I, I'm sure that this is not completely foreign to you, Catherine. I suspect you're one of us. And um, I think it's happening. And I can feel it in myself. I can see it in my friends and loved ones. And I, I believe that it might be happening everywhere. That's my hope. Mm. And I, I actually find it quite exciting. I do too. There is this thing that there's this, uh, like this sensation of excitement in my belly when I think about where we are heading to. I know this is really tough, but I think that, uh, and as you know, we were talking a little bit about astrology. There, there is a breaking down of the old systems. You know, whether yeah. it's government, uh, health, schools, and so forth. And we, we uh, as hard as this may be, the more that we can be at ease with the change and allowing yeah. the change to change you and just go with the flow, I think that instead of resisting it, because I feel like a lot of people hang on to the old, um, I think yeah. that this is where I can see the lift of consciousness. I totally agree. There's this real uh, expansion happening uh, at a global yeah. level, at a, con at a collective level. Yeah, and, and I think it involves, they've actually gotten to the point now, I've studied neurology um, for the last 20 years or so because such interesting things have come out of that field about consciousness and the way it works in the brain. I, they, I actually believe, for example, there's something called um, sudden artistic output syndrome, which is when part of the brain goes away, like somebody loses a chunk of their brain or they have a stroke and it goes offline. And instead of becoming less able to create things, they become compulsively creative and can do things that like one guy got hit by lightning. He was a surgeon, had no musical training, but after being struck by lightning in the head, started hearing music in his head, learned to play the piano and started composing symphonies like there's and it's because he lost part of his brain. And I actually think that the brain is a modulator and an inhibitory device for the power of the creative consciousness that can flow through nature and can flow through us. And I really feel, I mean, this is why I, I just wrote this book. That's, that's what I did during, I handed in a manuscript for this book I wrote called The Way of Integrity on the day that New York City went into lockdown. 
So it was like I wrote the book in the old times and then it, it came out in a completely different world. And it's a world that is much more tuned to the creative consciousness of the world beginning to modulate each of our experience and beginning to transform the way we think and the way we, the way, sorry about that. I'm going to put this on do not disturb. So yeah, I wrote this book about going inward to the, to the self, finding one's own inner demons, freeing ourselves from those, and then learning to walk with wholeness in the world I mean being true to our own to ourselves and what happens when we do that is a truly magical seeming transformation and it can be seen in the brain it can be um, it can be mapped and measured in Asia for centuries it's been called awakening or enlightenment enlightenment but I think it's meant to happen at a much larger scale than it's ever happened before. And I think it is happening to many, many, many people as they suffer through these endless months of interrupted life. Mm, it's so true. I would love to unpack your book, but as you were talking about consciousness, I just remembered I was watching a show and I can't remember the name of the show. It was on Guy. I think it was Superhuman. But they did this, um, they were filming these children who were blindfolded yeah, and were able, oh, wasn't that amazing? They were able to read a book and, and describe the pictures uh, through expanding their consciousness. That was yeah. mind blowing. Yeah, I actually purchased one of the blindfolds. But if you're over the age of 12, you can't learn to do it. But any child under the age of 12 who's trained to see without their eyes can do that. And, and one of the things I mentioned in my book that I, I think I took out in edits was that I, I was fascinated by this painter in Turkey. His name is Esraf Armagan, and he's an artist, and he paints fairly realistic, kind of impressionistic landscapes, portraits, um, architectural drawings and things. Here's the thing. He was born without eyes. He has no eyes. Wow. And yet he paints recognizable portraits of people. He paints landscapes with birds in the sky and clouds, things he literally never could have seen with his eyes. But something is seeing. And what could it be but an aspect of consciousness that is working somehow with the instrument of his body, but not in a way we understand it typically? So these things are like, there's stuff happening. And I am a firm believer in science. I was trained scientifically. I was rigorously trained and I really believe in solid, robust science. And I believe that there are phenomena in the world that science has not yet begun to understand. And so I think it's time when the magic, um, which is scientifically explicable, when the magic is going to start coming alive for so many people, because conditions are going to continue to change and continue to confront us with these unprecedented situations and demand of us things that we have never been able to conceive. And again, you called it the beauty of the pandemic and I know the horror of it and the boredom of it and the loss and the grief, but almost everyone I've talked to on podcasts since my book came out talks about the beauty, talks about what we can learn talks about the opportunity that we have to change everything. And once you make that shift, lockdown can still be a real drag, but something's growing in the stillness and it's really exciting. 
Mm, it's so true. And I think, you know, and, and as we were um, talking before we came on the show, I think we can't control the event itself, but we can shift our mindset and it is very much the meaning we give it. And I I, um, I was just uh, doing a class the other day and I was talking about, you know, we can look at, at our timeline and our, our uh-huh. I guess, the stories, our narratives. And, you know, if I have a look at mine, mine could be as simple as I could say my story was a broken heart all my life. Or uh. at this point of my life, I could say that, it was. It's still the same uh, visual for me. It's a broken heart, but it cracked my heart open to love. Right. So once again, once we shift our mindset and shift our meaning, I really think that makes a massive difference. Yeah, and I, I've had a life where I've had a series of things that forced me to go against culture and against the way people thought that I should be, which always made me feel excluded and different. But it also meant that I, I felt tremendously free and was able to start experiencing and doing things in, in because I was already outside. I was already an outsider, right? So I was outside. I might as well play outside. So I have found the, the isolation and the, and the sort of disintegration of culture. It's been less integrated, has allowed people more freedom and then forced reinterpretation of negative situations. We have to do that to survive. You can either sit there and say, my heart is broken again, or you can say, oh my gosh, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Mm. Um, what, what a blessing, right? Yes. And it always, it's always, it's always both. We live in a dual experience. So there's always, uh, there's always a symmetry to it. And there's so much rage and, and, insanity and sort of darkness rising, particularly in the US, I think. And I believe that in parallel with that has to rise a more enlightened consciousness. But the thing is, it's very quiet. Like these these new interpretations of the world and the ways that you're readjusting to your broken heart and all of that, it doesn't announce itself. It's silent, but it's so powerful in the way that light is more powerful than darkness. Like if you take a lit candle into a dark room, it illuminates everything. But if you take a dark candle, an unlit candle into a bright room, it doesn't take the light. It can't. It's weaker, right? Mm. So this there, there's this silent shift that I find going on in the people I love. And I, I'm in contact with lots of people because I do internet work with sometimes thousands of people. And what I see is that the the pandemic has given us very strong motivation to find meaning in the disruption of our lives and to find the light inside. And it becomes very quiet, but it's really powerful. So when you see the things going wrong, just always in your mind think, okay, for this frightening thing in the newspaper, there is something silent and unseen that is equally intense, but completely positive it's just that it's quiet Mm. and it's making it'll make itself known when the candle comes into the darkened room 
Oh, I love the way that you described that. I got a, a, a clear vision of that. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. And I do agree. I mean, I think that, you know, going back to Schumann resonance, the amount of light that's pouring down and, and some of the those, those that are watching it very closely saying that it's almost like the collective has an, un, an unveiling has took place. And as you said, it's very, very subtle, but we're all experiencing it in our own way whatever that way is, um, which uh-huh. I love the way that you described it. It's so fascinating. I mm. don't know exactly how the human resonances um, interact with the human experience. And I, I guess it's probably, I could ask you to explain it to me for an hour, but I'm not, that's, I'm not sure that's why I'm here. But it's fascinating if you look at even the visuals of how it's shifting over time and you get these intense um differences in the in the extremely low frequency portion of the earth's electromagnetic field and it seems to coincide with human subjective experiences it's it's all very magical and beautiful and mystical and great and i love it all <laughs> yeah i do too and i think there, there's um when we're talking it is all about uh vibrational frequencies and it is about uh, you know, those that have, have been keeping an eye on even the, the collective f- uh, frequency, how much we've expanded just even in the last 12 months. So really? it does have an effect. Yeah, the, the actual, the Schumann resonance does have an effect on our own frequency as well. So, um, so, it's, it's, mm. so but who knows, I, I, this is a whole different conversation, but I've always wondered if it's cyclical, if it's coming from humans as well as being affected it's affecting humans and then it's also being affected by human 100% um, electronic emissions yeah yeah I agree I, it has to come from within that's going back to what you were saying it's going like when you find that light within whatever way that is whether it's just dropping into your heart as often as possible is just my trick um but having that light within is how we expand our light and it is cyclical like I think um you know uh uh, what is it as above so below uh, so right, whatever's right, right. happening ex- internally is happening externally at the same yeah. time well, I had a really interesting experience at the, because we've been a little less locked down than you guys have but we've I've also got a son with down syndrome who's very very vulnerable to the COVID virus and so we've been incredibly careful and quite quarantined but then uh, in June I had to have surgery on one of my feet and the, I had to lie with my foot elevated above my head for about eight weeks. And that, if you've ever done that, where your foot has to be above your head, it is, it's very immobilizing. Like there's very little you can do if you're lying with your foot elevated above your head. And so I had to be almost completely physically still for over eight weeks. So after all this limited mobility and limited interaction with the world, it got down to me in one spot, and except for the times when I was crutching my way into the bathroom and back. And that, and I thought, wow, this is going to be, this is going to be really hard. And I got to tell you, Catherine, it was, I was so surprised. I lay there and. I got completely saturated with the stillness of it. And I went in and in and in and further in than I'd ever gone. It was like I was on this journey into infinite space inside myself. Like just as there's an infinite distance out, there's an infinite distance in. And somehow being absolutely immobilized made me go in there. And 
I began to feel this joy that was absolutely inexpressible. I was not, I wasn't bored. There was like a day when I felt grumpy or bored, but the other two months of that time, I was going into a space of such absolute joy. And I thought, I think this is where we're being taken because there was no reason for it. It was joy for no reason whatsoever. And it came from being absolutely rendered immobile. And that's what's happening in Melbourne, right? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Like, I expect the, a, a burst of divine consciousness to come radiating out of Melbourne and cover the whole earth. Um, and maybe that's already happening. Yeah, I, I have faith that that is taking place. And I have a similar story. As you explained, I remember when I did my foot and I was in a, um, a, a cast, um, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, move or do anything. But there was this sense of knowing, I guess it's probably the best way to describe it, this sense of peace, but also knowing that everything that is taking place is meant to take place. There is yeah. a higher purpose, and this is only I think last year or the year before that I did my. Oh wow! Well. Yeah, so we was only just. Been, sorry, having, we both had foot surgery. It's like we're two. We're the same person on two sides of the earth. Uh, we are. I didn't end up having surgery, but I was just in a cast for six weeks. But it did oh did uh, <laughs> slow me down completely. Absolutely, but there was this sense of uh, once you slow down and stop, it's almost like this sense of. Everything is happening in divine timing. And I kept getting trust the process, trust the process. So uh -huh. I keep saying it to myself. And I say that to others, have faith, trust the process. Yeah. Mm. I, I, this is the very first time I've been writing self-help for 30 years and, and coaching and doing all this stuff. And so I'm really into what, what can I do? Here's a process, one, two, three. I think in very linear, stepwise terms. And for the first time I find myself believing and telling people we're done like like be still allow yourself to be cared for by the universe trust that you'll be all right and you have reached the point through the very unpredictable and traumatic experience that is every human life whatever your life has been like some more privileged than others but always unexpected and traumatizing in some degree you're there all you have to do now is exist and enjoy and get by from day to day. And the consciousness that is all of us and that is the entire universe will use your point of perception and your apparent separateness, your human experience to do its work on the, on the planet right now. I always felt like there was something to do. And now I really feel like, ah, we did it. And it's not done yet. It's just that we don't have to do it anymore. <laughs> Does this make any sense? This is a totally oh, new thing for me. I'm just, you know, it's interesting because I'm always saying, I love that. I'm, I'm like, we are never done. We are never done. But I also say we are never broken. You are not broken. But what mm -hmm. you're saying is we are done. And it reminds me of uh, a guru. His name is Muji. And he mm -hmm. says oh, that, yeah. do you know Muji? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he says there is no point uh, seeking external of self for something that you already are. Yes. Uh, all yes, you have yes, to yes. do is sit in the self and just be. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just, you know, I'm a big meditator and I thought, well, with my foot in the air, I'll be meditate. I can meditate like 20 hours a day. It'll be amazing. And I found myself not doing formal meditations. I would just get quiet and lock in and they're not really lock in, but there would be a sense of shifting from identifying with the matter in my body to the space in which my body is suspended as apparent physical matter. It's really just a field of energy. Um, but the space is in infinite, eternal, inseparable and untouchable. Like nothing can move it. Nothing can shake it. And it's what I, I actually am in my essence. It's what we all are in our essence. And I said, I don't, I didn't feel like I was even meditating more. I was just being without any effort whatsoever. And just going into these states of bliss that were, they were so ordinary and human and delightful. They weren't, I wasn't on any pedestal. I had nothing to teach anyone. I was just experiencing this pure joy of being and feeling over and over. This is what we're meant to do now to just to be in the pure joy of being and allow the force to do what it wants to do through us. Oh, that resonates with me. That's beautiful. Absolute beautiful. And, and I've you, never thought that ever. I'm such a doer. I think we all are though. I think not I think anymore. not if we follow the rules. No, not not anymore. Not anymore, but I think that even so, I think that I'm very much uh, practicing being. Have I perfected? Absolutely not. Am I constantly looking at um, what can I do next? Absolutely. I'm always like my mind is constantly looking at what can I do now? Should I write a blog? Should I do this? Should I play with my oracle cards? You know, I'm constantly wanting to do something. Well, that's play. I mean, I was showing you my paintings before we started um, talking and it's just pure play for me. And here's the thing. You said, have I perfected being? No, no, nowhere close. And I understand the humility and, and I respect the humility of that. But awakening is simply noticing that what we have always been is infinite, unchangeable and perfect. Like it, it, it the human ego and the human discontents that are surrounding that, of course, we work on getting more serenity, getting more, being more compassionate, uh, creating a better place in the world. But you can't achieve perfected being, and there's nothing to do to achieve perfected being. You are already perfect in your essence. And it, it's just when you absolutely stop that you think, oh, well, there it was all along. It's like realizing all along that, that you were, you know, our, the cells in our bodies, even when, or the atoms in our bodies are composed of, and this is mathematically true, 99.9999999999999 empty space. 99% plus 13 additional nines. <laughs> that is so infinitesimal. And the rest of us is literally space and space is alive and it is love and it is conscious and it is perfection and it is being and nothing has ever harmed it and nothing ever can. And it's when you suddenly realize that that's what you've been all along. There's nothing to perfect. It's just like, oh, 
Well, now what do I want to play with? <laughs> so right. So right. I've got goosebumps. I've got goosebumps. It's so, so true. It is so true. We are already what we, we, we you know, we are, we constantly do look external of ourselves to find uh-huh. ourselves. We just have to be within ourselves. Yeah. I, I, when I was growing up in a very religious um, culture that I left, I, I read, you know, the Bible. They, they, they read us a lot of the Bible. I read the Bible a lot. And there was a, there's a phrase in Job where he says, in my flesh, I shall see God. And I thought that is, even as a kid, I thought that is very naive. He thinks that there is like a humanoid thing that made things like the Andromeda galaxy out of, I don't know, clay and is going to show up at his house and, and have tea or something like that. It just made no sense to me. But when I was sitting with my foot and right after the surgery, the pain was quite intense. So I started doing this pain meditation where I would go, uh, I would just pay attention to every detail of the pain. And then it, it tells you in the meditation, find the center of it, go into the very center of the most painful thing and just observe it without trying to change it. And then go into it more and more deeply, find the deeper and deeper and deeper center of it. And as I did this, motivated, motivated by immobilization and pain, two things that I was not a fan of. I went in and in and in and in and in until it was like I got down below the subatomic particle level and suddenly everything was just emptiness. And there, and that's where the joy just exploded. This was like two days after the surgery. And I was sitting there, I I wasn't feeling the physical pain anymore, uh, even though it was still there. I wasn't feeling it, if that makes any sense. I was in a place of no thingness that was so exquisitely alive. And I thought to myself, after a couple of hours, I sort of came out of it and I went, oh my God, in my flesh, I will see God. Like if I, I literally went into my wounded foot so deeply that I found pure consciousness at the, at the center of it. And I thought maybe that's what it's meant all along. That it, that, and, and we're all carrying around, we are all living, walking um, conveyors of the perfection of being and the joy of, of the, the potential to create or seem to create in, in this three-dimensional universe from a place that is beyond all dimensions. Like, I've had a weird summer, Catherine. What can I say? Oh, just as you were saying that, I felt like you would have transformed your pain and that the other thing I, I got as you were talking through it, the vision I received was you're, you're, we've got so many layers, right? And, and whether, you, yeah. whether you want to call it 3D consciousness, there are so many layers. It's how do we expand our consciousness beyond those very layers? Yeah, and I actually, so I, I to come back to the book that I wrote, but after 30 years, I, I wrote a book that I think it, it like it, it taught a method that for me is the most elegant way of getting there. And it, it's based on Dante's Divine Comedy. I think he was an enlightened master. And I think that he wrote the Divine Comedy as a metaphorical map from the confusion of an ordinary human life all the way to awakening. And I think he went through that. I mean, at the end of the Divine Comedy, Dante is talking exactly like one of the awakened masters in India or uh, ancient China, you know, and he'd never heard of any of these people. He was having the same experience, though, and I think we can all have it. 
And the way he tells it is you start out confused and, and, you know, worried and miserable and you don't know what's happening in your life. And that's where Dante starts at the beginning of the Divine Comedy. He said, I just came to myself in this really scary place and I didn't know how I got there or how to get out. And to get out, he has to go through the inferno. There's a gate that says you have to abandon all hope, ye who enter here, which doesn't sound very good. But it means he has to go in and face the things that he he's attached to. And he has to let go of his attachments to the things that have made him miserable. And he goes in and I think all the demons in there represent our inner demons. And this is what a lot of people don't know. In Dante's Inferno, the demons can walk out if they want. Every now and then some angels come in and say, does anyone want to leave? And nobody does because to leave, you have to give up what you had thought. You have to give up what your way of thinking, your way of living, your way of conceptualizing the world. But if you're willing to give it all up and anybody who's gone through therapy or 12 step group has done this, you go down and down and down. He finally gets to the center of the earth and he has to keep going down. But by going down from the center of the earth, he passes the center of the earth and now going the same direction, he's already, he's headed up. And he comes up and he's without his pain and he has to climb this mountain by now living a life, walking a talk that is based on his truth and not his demons. And when he masters that, he begins to enter the enlightened state. And it's actually, it breaks down really simply when you look at the metaphors he put in there. You tell the truth, you live the truth, and you watch to see what happens. And what happens is the transformation of consciousness. Oh, and love it. yeah. You know, yeah, I feel I like we're going happening. through that now, Martha. We are. We're totally going through it. It's, it's, it's so rewarding for me that I get to live to see it. Mm. And it's horrifying. I mean, your whole continent caught fire right before the pandemic. I mean, you guys have been through hell. You talk about an inferno, right? Mm. And yet it's through the inferno that Dante gets to paradise. And it's not a fairy tale. It's, it's a very careful description of the psychology and physics of awakening. Mm. And by going through the hell that you are, your country in particular, I think, has gone through lately, that you're sort of forced to the place of letting go of your beliefs, leaving your demons behind, walking a different path through life and finding paradise. It's happening. It just doesn't look very pretty right now. <laughs> no, I know. And I keep thinking about Joseph Campbell, The Hero's Journey. I just Ooh, feel yeah. like it's, it's you know, there, there is going to be light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so I do have a lot of hate, uh, faith and um, hope. Um, I did want to uh, unpack the book. So for our listeners, the book is The Way of Integrity, Finding the Path to Your True Self. Mm-hmm. Um, did you want to talk, I mean, you've already uh, kind of touched on some of the things that the readers will find in your book. But I'd love to, because I saw that there are five paths to your purpose. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Uh, the, the five paths to your purpose was a webinar that I did a while ago. Um, I'm always talking about paths, right? Everything is sort of a pathway. Um, but I, in that one, I did not talk about the path of integrity. The path of integrity, it's 
the purest, the quickest, and to some people, the most frightening. So by integrity, I don't mean you have to be Sunday school, moralizing, virtuous. The word integrity means intact or whole. So an airplane that is in structural integrity can fly. If it loses structural integrity, that is, if its parts don't work together, it can't take off or it can't be steered or it crashes. And when we are our true selves, our whole selves and nothing but ourselves, when we are undivided from ourselves, we function, we can fly. But very few of us do that because we're born with a true nature, but immediately surrounded by various levels of culture. So every family has a culture, every town has a culture, every religion, every ethnicity, every country. So there are multiple layers of culture, by which I just mean pressure that people put on each other to um, to conform to a standard of behavior that's sort of tacitly agreed upon. Every Every human society works that way. And what happens is that when, even before we can talk, we feel the social pressure to act in ways that are not what we're really feeling. Like, you know, they don't want us to cry as much as we want to cry. They want us to smile more than we feel like smiling, whatever. And almost by nature, humans abandon, we, we split from our true selves. We abandon our true nature and we conform with culture. And at that point, we are not in integrity. We are not whole, we are divided. Our nature is divided from our culture. And, and we tend to get more and more wrapped up in doing things that please or impress people. And we go further and further from knowing what our real nature even wants us to do. And so the path back to integrity is to realize the places where we're suffering and find, I, I, my, my premise is that when we're suffering deeply, uh, it's because we're divided from ourselves and we don't know why or how to get back to integrity. And so this book is just um, a really careful, gentle, step-by-step -step, um, instruction book about how to go from confusion and lack of joy, lack of a feeling of completeness, to wholeness, and to the state of undivided harmony that allows us to fly. I mean, when you get to pure integrity, it is not about morality. It is about magic and delight and the, the furthest extreme of what you're capable of experiencing as a human. Do it for the joy. Oh, so it's it's like standing in your truth. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big part of it. I mean, I started off when I was 29 by, I, I was, I'd had a few spiritual epiphanies as a result of, of some very difficult times. And they were these moments, these blasts of peace and contentment and, and, and home in a life that felt very alienated and cold. And I was desperate to get back. So I decided... All these traditions say that the truth will set you free. So I decided I wasn't going to tell a single lie for one calendar year. This was my New Year's resolution, and I kept it. <laughs> and I do not recommend this. This is not one of the things I would ask you to do in this book. I, would, I, I recommend a very gentle way of coming into complete, complete absolute honesty. But I did it like I jumped in, you know, full bore. And... 
I found that I wasn't lying a lot about things like my taxes or, you know, I wasn't cheating on anything, but I was telling a lot of lies about feeling okay when I didn't feel okay. And I stopped telling those lies. And within that year, I uh, had left my family, my home religion, which meant I left my community of origin, my family of origin, because um, it's a very strict religion where if you're out, you are excommunicated, nobody communicates with you, right? Um, so I had to leave my community. I realized I hated my job. And I was a professor and I hated academia. So I left the whole industry that I'd been trained for. I realized I was gay. So I left my marriage. Um, I left my home. I mean, basically I lost on the outside. It looked like I lost everything. And there was a lot of trauma and grieving around that. But on the inside, what I got back was myself. And as the new Testament says, what does it profit us if we, gain the whole world and lose our own selves. And I lost the whole world, but got myself back. And for the first time I came out of depression, I came out of anxiety and all the autoimmune diseases that had had me in constant pain began to resolve and they went away, even though they're not supposed to do that. In short, everything came together for me when I let go of everything that looked like my life. And I, I, I walk people through that very gently now. <laughs> wow. I'm I'm sitting there going, oh, I, I don't know how, I mean, I don't lie. I don't lie. And then when you said about yourself, about how you are feeling and how you are showing up, where we put this persona on or this mask that, you know, I, I, you've got to have your game fa face on. Um, mm -hmm. Wow. I could see oh, that really resonated with me. So what you talked about the path of integrity and showing us the way in small steps. What would be, um, I mean, I think that that is very courageous of you. And I think that even letting go of all the things you let go of was really to find yourself, right? Which is beautiful. Oh, I had to. I was I was at a I was at a state of extreme suffering, so it was worth it. If you're in that much pain, go ahead. But it, most people aren't, so it, it, do it. Go by a gentler path, and and the the way I would suggest people start is by identifying an area of their life where they're not completely completely happy. One of the things I talk about in the book is that when I would speak to to live audiences, when that was a thing. I would stop in the middle of a speech and say, is everybody comfortable? And they'd say, uh, yeah. And I'd say, no, seriously, are you, are you comfortable? And they would say, yes. Like, why are you still get on with your speech? And then I would say, how many people here, if you were home alone right now would be in the position you're in at this moment and no one would raise a hand. And then I would say, why not? And the more educated, the more high achieving, the more impressive the crowd, the longer it took them to figure out why they would not be in that position. And the answer was always, this isn't very comfortable. And yet, so the weird thing wasn't that they're uncomfortable. That's not the problem. The problem was they were absolutely convinced that they were telling me the truth, that they were comfortable, while they absolutely knew that they were not comfortable. Do you see the split there? Yeah. That's the lack of integrity. It's not from trying to be bad. It's from trying to be good. And as soon as you realize that you can feel what's uncomfortable, 
the first step toward your integrity is to sit down and say, where in my life am I pretending to be more comfortable than I am? And then you go to that place and you say, you know what? This isn't comfortable. And that's the first truth. That's, that starts your path. Yeah, I don't always love my job. I really, this relationship isn't completely, you know, it's not flawless. It may not have to go. I mean, mine was so extreme. I put my story in the book because I wanted to reassure people, no matter how much you give up by telling your truth or by living your truth, it's still worth it. But most people don't have to give up nearly that amount of, of stuff that's important to them. But yeah, you might want to stop with the people pleasing. You might want to not continue some of the friendships that aren't making you happy. There might be things that go. And that kind of truth telling gently, gently will start moving your life in a completely different direction. Wow. And do you know the other thing too, when you talked about people pleasing and something we do talk quite a bit about on the show, I think it's Mm -hmm. that it's that Yes, it takes away from the things that you want to do. But at that same time, because I feel that sometimes it gives me joy as well. Or do you think that's just a, uh, a little narrative I'm telling myself? I think it's a sellout, Catherine. I'm not going to do this. I am very blunt because I'm on an integrity quest. <laughs> Love it. I think it does. It gives me enormous pleasure to be able to tell people what they want to hear and to make them happy. But it's not a real happiness if it's not sincere. And when, I mean, let's take it to an extreme. Say you're in a a romantic relationship with someone and they're in love with you, but you're not in love with them. But it makes them so happy when you pretend to be in love with them, right? Inevitably, you're not going to be able to continue to show that level of interest because it's not who you really are. And they're going to feel it. Or you're going to get resentful or you're going to explode in in a fit of peak one day or you're just not going to be able to sustain it because it's hard to sustain lies. So this person, if you convince them you're madly in love with them, eventually it's going to get the truth will out and then you'll end up telling them, yeah, I never really loved you. I was pretending all the time. Is that genuinely making someone happy? I think it's it's feeding what they want to hear, which is part of their cultural persona, but their soul really would be happier with the truth. If you tell it gently and kindly and firmly, wouldn't we all rather be friends with people who are absolutely honest with us? Mm, Yeah, it's true. And I mean, sometimes uh, honesty does, it's not always, it's, it's, how the other person interpret it. And I think what stops us from being honest is fear of hurting others. Oh yeah. Fear of hurting others for a fear of them becoming upset with us. Yeah. Fear of causing a rupture in the relationship or discontent, you know, it's, but you don't have to blow everything up to live in integrity. You can be very gentle about it. I call it, you know, speaking of the airplane, if you were to steer an airplane, if you were going on a 10,000 mile journey and you, turned it one degree north every half hour or so nobody aboard would even notice the turn but you'd end up in a very different place right so there are these little places where we can sell ourselves out in a conversation with a friend or we can tell the truth and just gently turn 
in the direction of, uh, this is truer for me. And of course they get to decide what they believe. But as you gently, gently move toward always saying what's true for you, you become more comfortable in your skin. There's a ton of research that shows that people who even, if, uh, if researchers say to people, okay, we want you to lie less for three weeks. You know, try not to lie for three weeks. They go away. They've, there's nobody policing them, nobody taking notes or anything. Well, they come back and compared to a control group during the three weeks that they were just thinking about lying less, they have fewer doctor visits, fewer uh, symptoms of illness, fewer, uh, lower stress, better relationships, more success at work. I mean, and this is three weeks of just sort of saying, ah, maybe I won't lie so much. It is profound, the contentment and the ease with which your life unfolds when you always tell the truth. Mm. You don't have to remember anything because <laughs> you're just in reality. Mark Twain said that. The great thing about telling the truth is you never have to remember anything. It's so true. But, you know, I, I, what bubbled up for me as you were, saying, you were explaining it, it's that we all wear a mask, the imposter syndrome. We mm -hmm. all wear a mask. And it, it's, it's something that, you know, obviously when, we, um, uh, you know, when we're children, we quite often we're okay and comfortable in our own skin to tell the truth. But something uh -huh. happens along the way. It's a conditioning. Uh -huh. I'm just trying to understand where this all came from. Oh, I think children, by the time children can talk, they've already bought the whole system. They know before they can talk. If you take five-month-old babies and put them on a stage that has a clear plexiglass um, unit so it looks like they could fall, they've never seen this before. And babies are born with two fears, loud noises and falling. So these little five-month-old babies, they did this experiment where the babies go to the plexiglass and they look down and they don't know what to make of it. And they glance up at their mothers who are positioned at the back of behind a partition, transparent partition. And some of the mothers are told to smile at the baby and other mothers are told to look frightened. The baby will, who, whose mother looks frightened will not go out on that plexiglass. Even a year later will not go out on the plexiglass after one glance at the mother's face. By the time we can talk, we are so conditioned to do what other people seem to think is best for us. And we lose ourselves in that. Little children have to please. Oh, my gosh. They have no power, right? Yeah. So, and and they, they don't get it back. So if we have wonderful, loving, supportive, perceptive adults around us, then sure, we, we grow up with great purity. But most little kids don't get that opportunity. And then they're 58 years old and they're going, why, why, why can I not just tell my mother I don't want to go tomorrow? You know, that kind of thing. It, because it's just a lifelong habit of not realizing that they're uncomfortable with something that is pleasing other people. It's that simple. Mm, and it I will take you down to hell. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 I'm thinking it's it's what you're talking about is that nonverbal communication, right? Which speaks a, mm -hmm. much louder than words. Oh yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. you can feel the energy in the room. It just turns to ice if you're not doing the right things. Humans are so easily conditioned by other humans. Um, even if you sit on the other uh, on the uh, the other side of the coin, if you take three people who've never met each other, put them in a room together and wire up their hearts and brains to see what the rhythms are doing. 
within 20 minutes, all three of them will have been entrained to the heart and brain rhythms of the calmest person in the room. So we're always sort of on alert for, for people who are giving us signals to change, to, to say what they want, to figure out what's, what, what's the program, what's, what does this room want from me? And yet our bodies are designed so that when we're with someone who is completely quiet and calm within themselves, everything in our physiology wants to go into that rhythm. And that is peace. When you stop worrying what you're meant to be and just become what you are, what you've already been, and other people come along with you because everything wants to go toward peace. Mm, that's beautiful. I feel so um, at ease right now as you were explaining that. That's beautiful. And I was thinking also about the Heart Math Institute. They talk about, yeah. some, about heart resonance. Yeah, they've mm. done some of that research that I was just talking about. Yeah, and I, I got one of their little boxes and put the thing on my earlobe and learned to bring my brain waves down. And it's very cool. But I can tell you, it happens a lot faster when you just decide you're going to believe what's truest for you and not worry about what other people think. That's how you get to those states of calm. Mm. Try taking it into a party. It goes nuts. Your, your, your sensors are out looking for who you're pleasing, who you're offending. And you just become a, a train wreck <laughs> unless you're a person who's so focused on being truly yourself that you remain calm and watch others with compassion, but not conform with them or try to please them. Just remain the perfection of yourself. I have a son with Down syndrome who doesn't talk much and is in absolute integrity and he never varies from it. He's this quiet, calm presence. And people come just to sit near him or in the same house because his, his purity is so powerful. And it's what we want. I talk about how the way we know our truth is by something I call the, the, the sense of truth, the chime of truth, the click, the, the aha. There are different words we use for us, the, the feeling of something landing is true. And there's one statement that I've found, I've gone all over the world, I've talked to people in all walks of life, convicted criminals, street homeless people, everybody. There's one statement that chimes that ring of truth more consistently than anything else. So if you're listening to this, just say this to yourself and allow yourself to Drop your disbelief. Just allow this, pretend that this is true and say it over and over in your mind. And that sentence is, I am meant to live in peace. I am meant to live in peace. And if you just say that and feel it land, there's nothing in you that goes, oh, yeah, but okay, how do I do that? It's just, ah, oh, yeah, okay, that tracks, that tracks. Body, mind, heart, and soul can go, we can buy into that because it's always what we've believed down deep. Mm. And the way of integrity is just living in peace. Wow, 
What a perfect book to have for our listeners in this interesting times. And I, I'm inter- I'm interested for myself, as you were going through your book, writing your book, what was your epiphany or what was your insight insight or your biggest aha moment writing that book? Well, I, you know, as I said, I, I, I don't even remember, Catherine. I don't remember deciding to base it on the Divine Comedy. I don't even speak Italian. You know, I, I, I was just writing away one day when I thought, why not? Why am I doing this? I, I really don't know. But as a result, I read the epic poem closely in many translations over and over. And I started to sort of realize what Dante was doing at a psychological level and what an absolute um, emotional and spiritual genius he was. So it's just this weird poem with weird images. But if you read it um, as a self-help book, which is the way I read everything, it, it's, it starts to take you in and it becomes, it has a power. He, he brings you into his resonance. So then he gets to the, the place where he's living in his absolute integrity. And he says, this is where he enters paradise. And he says, stop reading. You are not going to be able to believe what I'm about to say, and you won't be able to follow it. And then, I mean, he literally, no, he says it very clearly. He doesn't say, you can stop now. He's like, don't even try. Of course, we read on. But then all these bizarre things start happening to him, all of which, by the way, track completely with what we now know about reality based on quantum physics. Like he's moving at the speed of light, but he's not really moving at all. Time is not really passing. Um, it, there are beings there, but they're not really separate from him. So they're not, you know, it's, there are all these strange paradoxes, which we now know to be part of our modern physics. So he's experiencing this in the 14th century. And then he gets to the very end and he reaches the source of all consciousness. And it's this unfolding light. And he describes it as a rose. In Asia, it's described as a lotus, this, a many-petaled flower that continue, it opens infinitely, infinitely, infinitely deeply. And the light that comes from it is exquisite beyond any description. And... Um, he talks about going to join with it and he stops using past tense, which he's been using all through the poem. And in the very last three lines, he says, and, and, and so I become the love that moves the sun and the other stars. And I was reading this for the umpteenth time. And there's a very famous portrait of Dante in profile. And that image was in my mind. And as I read this shift from past tense to present tense, the profile turned and I, and he was looking straight at me right into my eyes. And it was like in my mind's eye, but it was very vivid. And I was like, oh my God, he could see me. Like in, in 1324, whenever he wrote that down, he was talking about stepping into the present moment, capital P, which is the moment of eternity, which is outside of time. Like there is no time at the speed of light. There is, there is only eternity. And when he steps into the present, he's stepping into our present too. And it was like he was, he was looking at me through the folds of time, space time and saying, I w- I'm writing this for you people now. Like it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You can all do this. Come with me. It was, and I just sat there in my room, you know, COVID room, staring 
into the eyes of someone who lived centuries ago and feeling this absolute unity and love, not only between that consciousness and mine, but between that consciousness and everything on earth. And it was, it was stunning. I sat there for like an hour and I was, I was quite shaken by it actually, but it's, it remains one of the, I think, high points of my human experience. It's almost like you were channeling Dante as you were writing the way of integrity. I, I would love to think that in some moments I was doing that because there were times when I would write things and I didn't, I would think that's a very bold assertion. Why am I saying this about the divine comedy? And then I'd go reread and I'd be like, oh yeah, that's actually what he said. Where did that come from? I don't remember learning that. So I did, I did kind of feel, and I do kind of feel like, um, like the enlightened masters from different ages, different times, different geographic regions who are outside of time and who are spiritual beings no longer having a human experience. I think they're all very much into us um, pulling this off, like doing, creating a transformation of the way humans live on the earth that is in time to save the ecology of our planet and our species and, and, and supersede, rise above the horrors that we've been creating for the last several thousand years. Mm. Like there's the potential for such illumination in us and the potential for so much evil and the evil has been very dominant for thousands of years but it may be time for the, the big shift oh yeah it is time for the big shift i think this is once again it's it's the more light you bring onto the earth the more it's almost like the more of our shadow or the dark will bubble up but will bubble up to be seen because once seen it is hard to unsee right right mm. yeah Love and it. it gives us a choice. Do we want that or do we want the truth? Do we, you know, do we want clamor or do we want stillness? Do we want hatred or do we want oneness, you know, and the compassion that brings? So, yeah, they're, they're all over, people are who are living and dead are sort of bringing their voices to say, hey, everybody on earth right now, you are the ones. You are the ones that get to do this thing. Mm. And there's been a lot more, um, and I've, I can't remember who said this, but there, there is definitely a lot more channeling taking place with this huh. great awakening, the unveiling of what's taking place from a consciousness point of view. You, you know, there's quite a lot of different, um, like yourself, that are either channeling or really connecting with the consciousness of another and thus oh. whether it's, uh, channeling the individual speaking, allowing them to speak through you or write through you. There seems to be a lot more of that taking place in the last 12 months. Wow. That's 12, really 12, interesting. 24 months, yeah. It'll be so fascinating looking back on this from the distance of, I mean, look at how fast change is occurring and how unpredictable it is. That continued change, where it, things will get better. I really believe that, you know, the, the pandemic will end. But as a sociologist, I've always known that change would continue to accelerate at a at an in a rate in which the rate of acceleration itself is accelerating throughout my lifetime. And I have no idea what we're going to be looking back on in five years' time or where we'll be standing at that moment. But I, I wonder how we'll look back. I suspect we may look back and say, 
boy, that was a really challenging way to get knocked on track. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and aren't we so, you know, we reach out to compassion with all the people who've suffered and lost loved ones and all of that lost income. And wasn't it exactly what we had to go through? Yeah, so true. It is so true. And I think I really believe that one day we will look back at this and go, wow, what were the things that I learned in that time? And it will be something that, you know, it, it's, it's a time of history. Like we play a part of it. We as a soul uh-huh. signed up for this. Yeah. Um, whether, you know, and I'm not saying it was easy. It hasn't been easy. But it's definitely uh, there's been a lot of growth that has taken place yeah. for sure. Yeah, so as you guys there in the longest lockdown on the face of the earth, you know, you've been driven um, probably half mad and maybe sane, you know, because of the interruption of the patterns of your life and the enforced interiority and silence of this time. It is not easy to sit quietly alone in a room. Most people can't learn to meditate, but you guys have been forced to learn it and it's like it makes you extraordinary in very good ways that may not be evident yet. Mm, yeah, I love the way that you put that. That's awesome. Thank you for that. Um, so as we start wrapping up the show, we always love to ask a woman of inspiration to share three shiny golden nuggets. So Martha, what about <laughs> shining light on your book, The Way of Integrity? And what would be the three shiny golden nuggets that we could take away from your book? Uh, The first thing is that all you have to do to find yourself is to be honest about the fact that you feel lost. So the first, if you feel lost, all you have to do to admit it, and you've already begun to be found. So that it's that easy. It's that simple. The second is that you were born to walk this path and you were, you're designed for it. There's a a neurologist who's been studying awakening and like Tibetan monks and, and so on. And he says, not only is awakening possible and measurable, but we are biologically predisposed to seek it. So the moment you say, I feel lost and you decide to go toward what makes you feel more peaceful, more hopeful, more yourself, you are already on a path to awakening and your biology will take you there. And then the third thing is, is what I said earlier, that you are already perfect in your essential being. And that as you relax everything else, the consciousness of the universe can shine through your perfection and you don't have to do it. You just have to relax. Oh, I love all three. I love that. And I I agree with you. It's just admitting that first step is admitting that you are lost. I think Mm -hmm. that that takes it sometimes a little bit of courage to actually own up to that. It takes a lot of courage, but it's, it's looking at the map and finding the point that says you are here. You know, how are you supposed to get to your destination if you don't know where you're starting? But the moment you know where you're starting, I feel lost. That's where Dante starts the divine comedy. I don't know what I'm doing here. And with that admission, he puts into motion all the the mechanisms of of angels and um and fate that are meant to bring him to a place of absolute enlightenment. Mm. So it's, it's very, 
The steps we need to take are so small. Yeah. It's not hard. Thank you so much. So, Martha, where is the best place for our listeners to find you? Uh, In my house. I never leave it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Amazon or MarthaBeck.com, my... um, my website that I never visit also um, <laughs> because I'm busy painting pictures and playing in the woods. Uh, yeah. So book can fi- be found at Amazon. If you want more about my work in general, go to MarthaBeck.com. I will have that in the show notes for sure. Martha, we can't thank you enough. And I'm saying we, because I know our listeners will be so excited when they see that you've come back on the show. Can't thank you enough for coming back on the show, sharing your time, your energy, your love and your wealth of wisdom. Thank you so very much. Well, I love the show. I love your listeners. And I really feel such solidarity with the people of Australia and Melbourne in particular. Love you. Love you lots. And next time, when there is a next time when you come, um, you will be very much welcomed here for sure. Oh, thank you, Catherine. Anytime you come to Pennsylvania, you come and chat with us. Thank you, darling. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please share the show with your friends to help us make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to help us achieve this goal is by giving us a good review on iTunes or please subscribe to the show. The more subscribers, the better the speakers for the show, which then means more value for you so that together we can help the world become a better place. Don't give it another thought. Hit that subscribe button and help people get their weekly lessons. And when you do, please be sure to let us know by sending us an email to collect your special gift where you have a choice from six guided meditations or an e-book to soothe your soul. Now, if you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Catherine Plano. Until next week, please take care of yourself. Much love and gratitude. Thank you.